Welcome to Mind Frames, the podcast hosted by Two Wise Trees. With you, as always, is me. I'm Michael Cocker, one of your hosts. And also joining me this week, as well as every week, is my other wise tree, Ken Canfield. Thank you for joining us, Ken. Uh, so, Dave, uh, what movie are we talking about this week? Mike, this week we're in a Barbie world. Are in a Barbie world. Barbie is, of course, the new film brought to us by renowned director Greta Gerwig. Uh, and it's a live action story telling the life of Barbie. She lives in Barbie land and she is having an existential crisis. And we get to follow her along on her existential crisis as she comes of age in a sorts and becomes a real girl. It's a mix between a coming of age story and Pinocchio. It's somewhere in between there. Uh, she comes of uh, she becomes a real girl by learning more about herself, like every Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach written story. Yes, that's right. This is written by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. They love, especially Noah loves their coming of age stories. Of course, uh, Miss Gerwig came to first being known as a director. Of course, she's a very famous actor, been known to act for years and years. But as a director, she really came on her own as Lady Bird. And that's one of those uh, classic coming of ages stories about a misfit girl who struggling to find herself, navigate her senior year of high school and her a relationship with her mother, played by Laura Metcliffe. Uh, and she dreams of attending a college far away from her hometown. Uh, and, you know, does Barbie have dreams? What do you think of Miss Gerwig's directorial repertoire? Of course, she's got some other movies under her belt. I should say another movie under her belt of, of known, of renown. Yeah, of course, Little Women, you know, was nominated for various uh, Academy Awards and uh, is generally looked at like a really, really uh, great retelling of the story. I, I think it is. I've always been a big fan of hers. I got to interview Greta Gerwig years and years ago. I asked her to sign my House of the Devil poster. And in that movie, she actually has her head blown off in in the frame uh, you know you see it happen in the film and uh as far as auspicious beginnings go um you know that certainly that certainly was a loud one but uh she was kind of known for being in these um you know um the kind of mumblecore uh films that were sort of uh brought into being by her and joe uh, swanberg another local chicago uh filmmaker and 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 other people and a lot of these mumblecore films were really interesting and really fun and sort of about relationships. Um, but she really stood out. She always sort of stood out. And by the time she um, got together with Noah Bumbach and they made Frances Ha, she was really quite a presence. And um, her move into directing was, to be honest, after meeting her, I wasn't completely surprised. She just seemed like so full of creativity and intelligence and really possessed of a desire to tell stories um, uh, even before she was directing. So uh, she's gone on to do great work and continues to act. She was in White Noise, uh, uh, Noah Baumbach's new film uh, uh, last year and uh, was great in that. But, uh, you know, her directing has really taken off. And I mean, obviously what Barbie's made like a billion dollars at this point. So, um, you know, we're probably going to see her getting sort of write her own ticket for quite a while. And um, Lady Bird was very much an independent movie, right, Dave? I think we can 
call that safely an independent movie, but Little Women was up in the big leagues. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, uh, had a Best Actress nod, Best Supporting Actress, Screenplay, Costume Design. Um, Didn't Florence Pugh win? Did she win for Supporting Actress? Good question. I don't think so. But Emma Watson, I mean, you know, stories of Ronan uh, uh, or Saoirse Ronan. You know, what a cast. Uh, if it's too bad Killian Murphy's not here this week to say it's Irish, it's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> As la- I, I guess that wasn't included in our episode last week. There was a quote of uh, Killian pronouncing his name. And of course, Saoirse also uh, pronouncing their name online. So yeah, Little Women and Lady Bird, not a bad two films. If you're going to have two films, of course, Little Women uh, was beloved. And I think much in the same way Barbie is, it's it's kind of people come into it with a lot. They had a lot of expectations of Little Women, a lot of expectations of Barbie. We're going to talk about IP and movies. I don't know if Little Women qualifies as IP, but it does in our book. Um, yeah, I think but in general, does, yeah, if you way. look at Lady Bird, if you, you say yes. If you look at Lady Bird, if you look at Little Women, if you look at Barbie, um, we're talking about themes of sisterhood, like I said at the beginning, coming of age, self, self-discovery, perseverance. So these are themes that you see. And when you, are, I think in Credit Gerwig's films, limited films, coming of age is there, but you also have that sisterhood. Even with the mother in Lady Bird, you kind of see like there's this common bonding between women very much in all of her films. And you've got the classic Noam Bombach coming of age uh, stories and kind of weirdness. So I think you, it is kind of, you can see both of their hands in this, but one hand looms larger. And that's, I think that's Greta Gerwig's hand. Uh, do you disagree with that? No, not at all. I think, uh, and I think your comment about little women and the IP um, idea of uh, is interesting because of course little women's been done before and, it's a best-selling book and it's kind of a perennial bestseller that people read growing up and stuff. So in a sense, it really does sort of pre-exist in people's minds and there are various kinds of products that you can buy that involve it. So um, it's certainly not like an IP, like in the same way exactly that Barbie is, but uh, I, I definitely think it's kind of, a, it's a pre-existing thing um, and it's more than a novel. I think the specters of the film you know, uh, enter into people's understanding of it, um, in the public consciousness and, and yeah, you know, uh, also that's been done on TV a lot. So a lot of people have that story sort of mulling around out there. The interesting thing though, of course, is Barbie, they had to make up a story. And I, I know we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, but, uh, that was, you know, th- this was going to be a big test. Because this wasn't just a simple coming-of-age story. Barbie does a lot of different things. And uh, I think her and Noah Baumbach get really, really creative in the uh, screenplay. I think what Greta Gerwig Gerwig has done, and she's increasingly associated with this, with her last two films, is she takes something that's beloved, usually something beloved by women or girls, and she brings it into the modern age. You're right. There are a lot of of, uh, Little Women adaptations out there. But I think what Greta Gerwig does and did in this film is she keeps enough of what's original and beloved about it, but she adds in enough of what needs to change and what's modern. And I think that's why people love modern Our Little Women, her modern take on Little Women. And I, that's also 
why I, I think people are going to love this film. I know people do already. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Particularly certain types of people. And we'll get into what, what I mean by that later. Um, another thing I'd like to say about Little Women, and this is, I think, one thing that makes Little Women great <laughs> while we're talking about Greta Gerwig, is uh, we talked about Florence Pugh. And one of the most fascinating plot lines, story elements that I like is um, artists who aren't good enough to make it. There is That is a level of heartbreak. That's a that's a level of unrequited love and a very particular unrequited and <laughs> love and heartbreak that is hard to capture. Yes. Um, and I think Little Women is one of the place that does it well. I've only really seen it done a few times well. Um, but I thought Greta Florence Pugh as an, I and mean, this is my interpretation, but I don't think it's too... Uh, shocking that I think Florence Pugh's character is a is an artist and actually said in the film, Timothy Chalamet and her talk about it, uh, is an artist that is just kind of not having anything special. They're good, but they're not special. And you know, uh, you know, we've we've covered a couple movies that co- do it well. Um, I think if you're interested in this theme, you could watch Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Even though I know Woody Allen's canceled, you could watch. Um, I, get, I don't want to give movies where there's a failed artist, but you know, we talk about how great last year, the, uh, um, oh, what's the name of the film from last year? We've, we film. mentioned it several times. It has a, it has a very oh. simple, uh, the one with the thing and the, the guys in it. With the, yes. With the girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I, actually the scene I'm talking about is the mess, uh, do you know the film I'm talking about? No. Now I'm quizzing you. At first I was my brain. forgetting. Mess, M-E-S-S, mess. Uh, it, it, the mess, yes. I'm referring to the mess in the menu. Oh, uh, the menu, absolutely. So at first I was actually forgetting, but then I started quizzing you. Uh, there's a scene segment in the menu called the mess, which I think kind of has the bitterness of a, someone who's not going to make it, and they talk about not making it, not being good, but not great. Uh, Vicky Christina Park. Barcelona, the menu, also very much have that. I think um, Flux Gourmet also, you know, flirts a lot with uh, artistic failure, um, and uh, uh, yeah. Art School Confidential, which is a film I don't know if you've seen, does that. Uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis, yeah, that does very much so much. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things as well, but then oh, we're starting yeah, to get oh into gosh. the. We're starting to get into the loser side of it. You know, I don't want to go in. I like, I want to get the, it's that, it's where you're good, but not great. That's just such an interesting, interesting fodder for conflict. Um, anyway. Well, well and, and the idea, and the idea, well, the, the idea that in this society, that does make you a loser. That makes you, you know, and also ran. But the truth is, that's most of us. You know, I mean, there are bigger podcasts out there. I don't know if I agree, Dave. Most of us aren't good. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying no, most but, of us, yeah. most of us aren't special in that way. And so, like, that's okay. Not only is that okay, that's a much better representation of real life, and it has not necessarily anything to do with whether you should be out there doing art. But maybe art isn't going to be the thing you're known for, the thing that you leave behind. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, a film that's I we can't watch, Dave, that I really want to see that's from this year. Um, and when I say we can't watch, it's not because it's banned or anything. It's because it's not freaking available anywhere. That is uh, Kelly Reichardt's new film called Showing Up, and it's it's supposedly about, um, you know, an artist who's making it, showing up, but maybe not achieving greatness. I don't know if the frustration of that's covered in it, but uh, yeah, I, I feel jealous of everyone who's seen that. I unfortunately missed my opportunity to see it, I think, and hopefully it comes up. And, and you know, Dave, we're so off topic, but I'm not a Kelly, I'm not a Kelly Reichardt fan. I know. I was going to say. I mean, Meek's cutoff is okay. I, I like kind of like the openness and quietness of Meek's cutoff. But First Cow and um, thing, yeah, First Cow, as you know, I could not do. Uh, so, like, but I'm really, I, like I love this subject. So, what'd you say? I like Meek's cutoff better than First Cow, too. How, how could you not? I, you know, we talk, we have. Who loves who loved first cow? We had um, we have Jim Lazinski on here. Right? Yeah, yeah, Jim Lazinski. Yeah, Jim Lazinski, and he loved first cow. And that was a great episode. That really was. Uh, it, that was a great episode. We gotta have so Jim back. yeah, first cow. I loved ranting on that movie, but I'm totally open to showing it. <laughs> anyway, back to back to Barbie. So one of the things that we, you know, I started to bring up a point before Barbie started at the movie, Dave, and you shushed me. You were like told me to stop talking. And that, that was that I said that, you know, this is, um, this movie languished not in production hell per se, because it kind of got a rebirth (laughs) kind of got, maybe got, it was in hell and then it got reincarnated. So Fox was originally attached to this movie. Fox was going to produce this movie. They supposedly, I don't know if it's true or not, had Amy Schumer and a very sarcastic and, um, funny course, script and um what happened there oh they threw it all in the garbage <laughs> and mattel apparently mattel was kind of driving that garbage pitch they were driving pitching it in the garbage i'm, I'm sorry not the pitch but they wanted something they wanted something a little kinder and gentler to the ip to barbie i think we don't know the answers to this oh. but for some reason they decided to be the production company and to my knowledge the films they had produced prior to this were cartoon Barbie movies about like rainbows and unicorns and skating. Yeah. So this was a big step up for them. And I was like trying to nudge Dave and like, look, Mattel <laughs> is producing it, but he was having none of it. But yeah, there was a, a version of this owned by Fox. And of course, Fox went broke. That was probably part of it too. And then I Mattel took it that's over. What you meant by nudging me about the Mattel thing, but yeah, no, I think that's a great observation. No, they, um, they just didn't, they're not, that's not just a logo popping up. They produced this and had a pretty, pretty strong influence upon its direction. But I think they made some good choices. You know, yeah, it's I, like Eminem. I, they had one shot. <laughs> they had to do a good movie. They only, you only get one Barbie movie, you well, know. Not only did they get Greta and Noah Baumbach to write it, but I think that the, I think that there are observations made about the IP in this film that are made in a pitch perfect way. And they don't let it off the hook. They don't let the IP off the hook for a lot of the things that people have. I would like this to be a whole topic of discussion in the spoiler section, Dave. Me too. We're going to talk all about right. that more, yeah. but there we go. Um, all right. Well, let's do some reviews. So before we do that, here's the timeline of the production history. 2009, 
Universal. Dave, I completely forgot. Universal oh was God. up in this mix too. Who Universal knows? Pictures wow. announces plans to develop a live action Barbie movie with a script by Jenny Bix. 2014. Sony's involved. They are they're hiring Diablo Cart Cody and Anne Hathaway is attached to it. Wow. That would have 2018. Been a- it's kind of you can kind of document the rise and falls of screenwriters and actresses and <laughs> actors here too. 2018, Sony Sony's deal falls apart. 2019, now Warner Brothers in it is involved. Um, they 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 acquire it. They acquire the film rights. Margot Robbie gets cast as Barbie. I think Margot Robbie also has a production company involved. Um, yeah. Greta Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are hired to write it. 2022. Filming begins. So this is a post-COVID movie. Um, I guess it's been years now. So 2023 comes out. So, yeah. I, I don't know if you can call... This movie's had several lives. But the the thing is, it's the IP that's lived. The movie itself. There's like the, the those two movies. There's nothing in those two movies that probably went anywhere. Um, so, but it's really just Mattel wanted to make the movie and they're pushing the IP yeah. And they think I think they made good choices. I think they were wise to be choosy and picky and Yeah, we could see if they it feels a little dated. I don't know if it does or not. Maybe it does. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section. Let's talk about the cast. Man, we're we're not talking about the cast yet. We went so many tangents. So you mentioned we have our lead here. Oh. Our man. two we have I, I think we have one lead, but I think two people are actually cast as the stars. They both got paid the same, I think. So um oh, I don't know if that Good for that. I suppose, yeah. Well, I mean, Margot playing... Robbie's going to make a lot of money off the production deal on this. That's I read true. somewhere That's she's getting point. $50 million. You know, the, the deal, the devil's in the details, because, you know, uh, just like with our precious uh, writers and actors strike, you know, you could get the salary is not everything. So it's like maybe they both got $3 million salary, which I think is what they heard. But uh, if Mar- if uh, Margot Robbie's getting some residuals, if she's getting some residuals off the Barbies they produce from this. Um, well, and I think I guess... Ryan Gosling is getting an extra case of Ken dolls. So if there's, there's <laughs> I'm that... sure he's getting residuals too. Everyone gets residuals. <laughs> um, so Margot Robbie, uh, I think, you know, oh. if, if you're going to have, um, you know, if you're going to have a movie where Margot Robbie sings barefoot to in, in a Corvette, I think you got to add, uh, you got a two, two movie list uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and uh, Barbie. Oh, oh. Oh, Maybe there's more than that, but um, uh, so you add that to the list. Or, you know, there are a couple scenes that are reminiscent of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood here, in terms of Margot Robbie uh, doing similar actions, like dancing in a dance. You know, uh, when she was dancing in the beginning, Dave, I definitely was thinking. And the other Barbies are watching her in her like house with no uh, house with no sides. It reminded me of Brad Pitt watching her dance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is no surprise because they're kind of. Simple, the Barbie dream house is kind of based on a typical 1960s house, whatever you call that, mid-American. I'm not sure. Um, so what do you think of Margot Robbie's performance? You know, Margot Robbie has been outshining expectations her whole career. Um, I, Tanya, I think, kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people. Uh, I believe Wolf of Wall Street. Um was another was another big uh, was another big moment for her, um, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe she plays Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, uh, wife in that, and has some pretty standout scenes. 
and she's just done this repeatedly throughout her career. Um, I am not surprised at all at how great she is in this. I mean, if you can make a movie as God awful as Suicide Squad, that first Suicide Squad movie, and have Harley Quinn, your character, come back, not only in Birds of Prey, which is a decent movie and a lot of fun, but also in the new Suicide Squad, which is a great movie. Um, I just think, you know, she's a triple threat, man. She's out there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see her directing uh, or anything. She's just a creative force and she's very uh, versatile. And in this, she is absolutely perfectly cast. I think so. I, I agree entirely. You know, I'm sure people, I, I mean, many people could have played this role, but I think she does a great job. She looks like Barbie. She embodies Barbie. She looks like stereotypical Barbie, the role she's playing. Um, I think she's beautifully, beautifully cast here. And <clears throat> did you notice that in all of her, with we're like e-Hollywood now, but they gave her outfits. They created outfits reminiscent of real Barbie outfits for her to wear to the various premieres. So when she went to the pre premiere in LA, she wore it. When she went to the pre premiere in New York, she wore it. And um, I think she, I, I don't know if she still, if she went to the premiere in Australian War or something, but she, the, the, while she was able to, she was, a, she was wearing very, you know, they spent a lot of money on the production and costuming of this. I have no complaints with uh, casting in Margot Robbie. I think that she has an expressive joy, like when you see her singing in the in the um, car driving to our world. Uh, she has a very expressive performance, very joy, and I definitely understand why. You know, um, she can say so much with few words. You know, Quentin Tarantino got got uh, dinged for her not having lines in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I think that character, like this Barbie here kind of just embody something. And I think that's something Margot Robbie is able to do with her, with her acting skills, embody it without needing a bunch of lines to say that. Yeah. Um, and she has to do it with a character that typically has been looked at as kind of, you know, um, um, in, in some ways as more of a bubble headed, blonde, empty headed symbol of, you know, uh, men's expectations of women. Um, and she brings it completely to life. Uh, obviously, a very, extremely smart script is helping there. But um, you really get a sense of her emerging into her existential crisis, uh, which is a dynamite thing to do with the character. And where she takes it the, emotionally the is very is very compelling. In the first act, she really has no one to walk, to to act off of. She has two dimensional, at least on the surface, two dimensional characters. Like when she's talking to the other Barbies, when she's talking to Ken, and she's having this existential crisis before she meets Weird Barbie. She's got to do all that lifting herself, and I think that's the script is doing that. But that's also uh, Mario Robbie being able to to carry those scenes, to carry that depth to carry that existential crisis before she runs into the real world and um, weird Barbie who is there for her. But what about Ryan Gosling? Does Ryan Gosling hold his own as Ken? I think so. I think so. I mean, to most people walking out of the film, they are saying Ryan Gosling is amazing. And I mean, we all, we knew that before we walked into the film, but <laughs> 
I still like I didn't have the impression that Ryan Gosling is the star. I kind of had the impression Margot Robbie was the star. The, even though Ken kind of gets a lot of the humor, Ken doesn't go through a crisis. Ken gets the only musical montage in the whole film. In fact, he gets to, he gets to play guitar and sing a song as well. So, like I think <laughs> he's got he's got great comedic timing and he has great comedic chops and he brings a certain like um 90s early 2000s uh rom-com feel to it and yeah i just can't wait to talk about whether this is dated or not later but uh he brings a certain amount of that feel to it and uh and perhaps intentionally dated dave if you're about to say that it's intentional uh but i liked him a lot i don't know if he i don't know if he's I think I got number one, Margot Robbie, number two, Ryan Gosling. But I'm glad he's there for comedic entertainment because I wasn't getting it from the others, people. Well, okay, this movie has been out long enough that that uh, I feel I feel free to say this. It's not a big spoiler or anything. But I think that this is a movie that wants to use Ken to show men how... women feel treated and um, mansplained to and, and whatnot. And I think that he does go through a crisis at the end. Um, but it is a, it's, it's held up somewhat for comic relief because of course we know that Ken is going to be okay. Right. Um, his sense of crisis is far less serious than Barbie's in a lot of ways. She's having a real identity crisis. And uh, um, I think that he balances all that really well. You know, there are things in this movie that require him to dance and sing and do this really broad comedy. And he has to do most of it with his shirt down. He's got to look great the whole time. He's got to act off other actors who are also having to play these sort of superficial male characters. And they have to do that in a way that makes where you don't just despise them. Um, and, um, and I think on some level, you know, the, the film doesn't want to do that. The film doesn't want to have your standard stock bad guys. It's not interested in punishing any of its characters. And, um, so often when you're doing this kind of satire or comedic take on, on, on an IP, it's easy to do that. It's easy to assign roles of good guy and bad guy and everything else. And instead, this is a movie that moves, moves you slowly in another direction, um, which we're going to talk about later. But I thought that Gosling was hilarious um, and really, really fun to watch and uh, um, more than held his own with Margot Robbie. I think he's great. Is there anyone else in the cast you'd like to discuss before we move on to our review section, Dave? Just, just two really briefly. Um, one, one, and this is going to surprise you, I think, because I want to talk about Will Ferrell. I think that there are two really good Will Ferrell comedies, and I haven't seen Strays. I'd probably really like it if I did. Um, Will Ferrell's voicing over a dog in that movie. Uh, the real ribald, you know rowdy raucous uh 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 comedy that's just hit theaters 
but you know, his two really good movies are Anchorman and Talladega Nights. And, you know, some people will throw Step Brothers in there. I think Whew. Elf is a really good movie. But, it's just Elf. How dare you? Oh, Elf is a great movie. It's a Christmas classic, and he's fantastic in it. It may be actually his best role, but uh, I'm not sure I would I would stick to that. Um, but he hasn't done a whole lot of great stuff in a while. And so choosing him for this role, it's weird, because he's kind of typecast as the CEO of Mattel. Um, and so I thought it was just interesting to watch him navigate territory that was, you know, I, I was kind of interested to see whether he was going to make it or not. I'd be kind of interested to hear if you thought he, he was more than okay in this role or more than adequate. And the other one was Rhea Perlman. I really loved seeing Rhea Perlman, uh, uh, as, uh, as in the role that she plays, which I won't reveal because it's a bit of a spoiler. But it's a very heartwarming, wonderful role. I think she's an actress we don't see enough of. And she's great on screen. And she really projects the warmth that we want to project into that character. And it was, I found that very heartwarming and, and really enjoyed her. Okay. Yeah, Rhea Perlman. I, I remember her being in the movie. Let's do our reviews. I'll start. You remember her being in the movie. I do, I do. I forgot for a You're second. But... Totally dissing it. <laughs> yeah, she was in there. <laughs> so I think I like Barbie a lot. Definitely, definitely going to be three star Dave's. You know, I don't know if we still do star ratings, but could it go up to three and a half or four? I think there's potential because there is a lot of greatness in this film. There is a lot of good stuff in it. So let's start about the things that are truly great. Um, this is some of the best production design of any film ever made. And you know, I say that a lot. <laughs> I feel like I say that <laughs> at least two or three times a year, but this is actually some of the best production design you are ever going to see. It's hard to imagine that we have a, we have a year where there's asteroid city and there's a year where we have Bo is afraid, both which have incredible production design as well, but the props, the setups, are so entwined with the IP Barbie of how it was played with, of, of how it's used. The, the jokes aren't too like, they're like, well, it's a prop. It's, you know, we're living in a Barbie world from the car she drives, which I believe is a real car that they made. And they're going to like sell next year. I don't know if they're going to sell the Barbie edition, but electric Corvettes, I think are a real thing that's coming and they got one or at least got the label for it to put through on the car ahead of time. This, the set design is just incredible, and the production design is just incredible. Um, the costuming, I think, is also great. It's not in the incredible level for me, but it is amazing that they created all of these costumes. But the world and the way they are dressed is a five-star, out-of-this-world quality. Um, and I think we have good performances. We have a great performance from Margot Robbie and a good performance from everyone else. Uh Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling have the most to do in this film. They have, like, all of the conflict is in them and other people in the film. (laughs) And uh, the mother and the daughter who joined the film, but that's getting a little spoiler. But but the the core of the conflict is Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ken. And I feel like one of the things that we're getting into the more average, all of the other characters 
have not much to do. So when you're looking at Simu Liu's character as the other Ken, I think he's called Skipper or something, or you're looking at um, Michael Sierra, Michael Sarah's character, and I actually kind of include Will Ferrell in here. They kind of seem to just be standing still and not moving with the plot, like they're just they're just they're just toys for they Barbie and, and Ken out. to play yeah. with. And um, yeah, and I think now we're getting into another thing that's kind of good or average. And it's a pretty well-written movie, but there are characters that are there just seemingly for no reason. And the entire Mattel subplot, we can talk about whether we feel Mattel's hand in this film as a production company, whether they guided that subplot or had that subplot in there for a certain reason. But the whole Mattel subplot, Michael Sarah's character, character, many of the other Barbies, they would appear... And I and they would disappear. Yeah. And I don't necessarily. It's like you could have you could have straight you could have had that a little tighter maybe, but at the same time you have a very fun cast. You know, people serve a role. Maybe Simulu's character would be. You know, people love that it serves a very simple singular role. Same with Kate McKinnon's weird Barbie character. Um, I think that you know there's an argument to be made that that's actually really tight screenwriting. But for me, having it so centered around Barbie and Ken and the mother and daughter who are also in the film, and then everything rotate around them, uh, I don't know if that 100% worked because the other things were so flashy. Like you gave Michael Sarah a whole scene to fight, like a whole scene featuring Michael Sarah. Yeah. He does nothing the whole movie to further the plot. So I think that is, um, yeah, the, the, the script is, is not up to, the, up to the same level of masterpiece amazing quality that the um, production design and Margot Robbie's performances. But I think that for people who love Barbie and for people and millennial women, which, you know, we love to talk about millennials, or at least I do, Dave, I think for millennial women, this is a movie made for and by millennial women. And I think they're going to have a special attachment to the story and they're going to have a special attachment to Barbie in some cases. And I think that it's a movie that's really made for, I, I'm going to say millennial women. It is not a kid's movie. It is a movie made for millennial women to have their voice heard and to have a story that reflects their experience of finding themselves through a toy they probably played with as a kid. And I think that's who it's going to appeal to mostly. I enjoyed it too. And I'm millennial men and men of all ages. I encourage you to go see it. It's not that it's only for millennial women, but as a person who kind of specializes as a millennials, I can think I can say that it continues many of the themes of anxiety, existential dread, not feeling at home, feeling impermanence that we often come back to on our podcast, Dave, that we say, or I say mostly are driving millennials, that sense of insecurity from, you know, not having a world that was promised to them. I think Barbie feels that. And that to me is being guided by the hand of uh of a generation. And it, I think it will speak to women of that generation pretty profoundly. And I've heard anecdotal evidence to support that. So three and point five to four star. That was a, that was a great review, Mike. Um, and, and I'm going to concur. I'm going to concur with most of it. I am. I'm going to twist it as I usually do a little bit. I think that, um, you know, this movie in a way, it reminds me of toy story. Um, one of the reasons is the production design, which is, absolutely pitch perfect um but also because 
it involves a lot of IP and it sort of saturates its story with nods to everything Barbie. Like it didn't matter what kind of Barbie you had as a kid. Um, it's in this movie and that that's kind of a tall order. Now, when you see the toy story movies do that, and I think there's even been a Barbie like character um, or no Barbie Barbie's actually in toy story at one point, isn't she? But um, I would be toy surprised, story. but maybe, yeah, I thought maybe Barbie was actually in the toy story movies, but a Barbie like character certainly was. And, and um, I, I, I think a really interesting thing about that is the toy story movies have an equal amount of, characters that they throw at you and things you remember from your childhood and everything else. And I think on the whole, they're more elegant uh, and they have an easier time of doing all that partially because they are animated, um, you know, bringing IP to life uh, uh, sucks a lot of air out of the room when you got to do it in real life. You got to uh, uh, spend a lot of your resources just getting that to look right. And, um, which they do in, in Barbie. But I think that, you know, like the the Alan character, the Michael Cera character, he's a lot of fun. That is probably the saving grace for a lot of all the secondary characters and IP nods in the movie is they're all fun. They all work. They don't drag the film down. Um, it just makes for a very populated screenplay. And, um, you know, could you... Could you maybe have tightened that up? Sure, you could have. You could have definitely left some things out or whatever. I think the thing that's really interesting, though, is that this is kind of like a kitchen sink film. It not only does the Barbie IP uh, justice, but it also, I think, does justice to the questions that people have raised about Barbie and uh, uh, the different generations have brought to Barbie. And, um, that, that was really interesting to watch. And I think it poses even new questions. Um, and it asks, what is the relationship that we have to IP? Um, are we active in our relationship to IP or are we just letting it do the work for us? Um, which, to be honest, which to be honest, is is pretty daring, you know, in its own way, uh, to question whether being consumers is really what we ought to be doing. Um, that that there has to be more to our play and to childhood uh, interaction uh, with toys than just we go out and we buy the new toy and we throw it in front of the kid and then the kid, you know. Um, I mean, you're dealing with this right now because your daughter's addicted to Peppa Pig. And I know because I'm, I'm the godfather and I, and I, and I bought Papa Pig, uh, uh, off of Amazon and, and, and gave her Papa Pig. And it's you know, that... it's, it, it, please, please. It is daddy pig. Oh, daddy pig. I'm so sorry. So, so yeah, you know, it's, it's a very real question in, in our society in a consumer age do these things have any real value or are they just pieces of plastic? And, uh, and I think the film, I think the film talks about that. I'm going to say, Dave, you know, normally we don't push back too hard in the review section, but, uh, I did not get an anti-materialist, anti-consumerist message. From I didn't this say film. that. That's not, you're okay. putting words in my mouth. That's not what I said. I'm saying that the film acknowledges 
that there is a um, that 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 our playtime actually has value, despite the fact that there are forces trying to turn it into just consumerism. And um, and I think the film does that really well. All right. Well, if you would like to buy a weird Barbie or a uh, <laughs> Margot Robbie official Barbie or a I'm a, I'm just enough, those are all available at Mattel Productions. They sure are. They are. Um, I almost bought myself a Knuff T-shirt, but so are you coming down on the side that uh, it's a good film? Uh, yeah, this is an A. On a, on a, I would give this an A. I wouldn't give it an A plus for some of the busyness. But that is a minor, minor, minor ding. Um, this is a really, really good movie. All right. Well, let's um, let's jump into our spoiler section. You ready? We. All right. Well, we have a couple random thoughts to throw at you. Um, we already started talking about millennials. I know I bore you all with the talk of millennials constantly. We're going to rename this the millennial, uh, the, the, the millennial frames. We have, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> half the time we're talking about historical horror and the other half of the time we're talking about millennials and how anxious they are. But I think you see, so if you take, if you accept the premise that one of the defining characteristics of millennials as a generation, Dave, is that they were prepared or promised a world that never materialized growing up. Uh, you can see that. And then it never materialized. <laughs> you can see that in this film. And so I think to a lot of people, all, if you, if you really pay attention, first of all, Greta Gerwig is on the upper. She, she's a millennial. All right. She is a millennial. She might be on like the upper cusp of being a millennial, but she is a millennial. And if you look at the, that excellent production design, you'll notice that, and if you look at the font of the movie, by the way, it is the font from the 1990s Barbie. And if you look at them and if you look at all of the dresses and all of those references that are going to be so precious to the people who played with those dolls during that year, during those years at the at the sets that are the the, the houses, they're not 1960s, 1970s Barbies. There are some references to them in there, but they're mainly late 80s, 90s Barbies. And I think. There is a reason for that. Going back to my review, it's because it's a movie made for and by millennial women. And so I think Barbie in the film goes through a lot of what millennials specifically here women go through. We we had this idea that the world was going to be perfect and set up for us and we weren't going to have a deficit because Bill Clinton took care of it. And there's never going to be another enemy of the United States. You know, all these things that we're kind of thinking were going to happen in the 90s. You're going to go to college and get a good job and not have to work at Starbucks to pay off your student loans. So these things didn't happen. You know, these things that millennials thought were going to happen. Barbie thought she was going to live in her dream house in a perfect world forever. But she gets confronted by the things that, oh, we're all getting old. We're getting into our 40s now. Cellulite. Dread. Um, and I think, you know, this might have to go into the pantheon of millennial movies, Dave, because this is one of the most millennial movies that I've, I've seen out there. And uh, definitely, it's like I said, it is made, I, I truly feel it is made for and by millennial women, and they are going to get all of the references. They are going to relate to that anxiety because I, I know that there's a lot of 
woman specific, female specific anxiety in the film that I'm not a hundred percent grasping, but I know it's there. And I know that that's why I saw, you know, Rob Reinen has a very small, small role in here. He plays uh, sugar daddy Ken. I love him in every movie. Whenever I see him, I'm like, Oh, you're in this. And I almost feel like he's like the guy they put in to say, we included a British person, but <laughs> he, he's in there. Welsh specifically he's in there. And, um, <clears throat> and I heard an interview of him on BBC two on the radio. And, uh, the, the, the inter the, the, the host interjected, like he was like, I'm going to violate it and talk about the movie. And the host interjected him and he said, our staff, the women on our staff said, this is their favorite movie. This is the best movie they've ever seen. And I have heard that from numerous millennial women. They have said it speaks to us in a way that I didn't know a movie could speak to us. Uh, and I love hearing that. Well, if I can, and if I can, and if I can interject, you know, the take over, don't just interject, take over. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about what you're saying is Barbie is a movie that gives us several generations of women. Uh, and they all have their own sort of unique view. And, um, you know, we're in the spoiler section, so I'll go ahead and spoil something. You know, Rhea Perlman plays the creator of Barbie. And uh, she lives in sort of a rarefied place within the Mattel um, um, offices. We're not even sure if she's really alive or not still or whatever. But 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 uh, whatever, we're talking to her or her spirit or whatever. And she expresses the surprise at at what happened with Barbie. And how big it got and how, you know, it it uh, eventually needed to grow even beyond what she thought that it could be. We run into these teenagers that Barbie meets at the school um, and they have these very articulate understandings of their feelings about the culture that they feel Barbie is part of and are able to speak in very eloquent terms, articulate terms about patriarchy, about, you know, all these different things um, in, in reference to feeling preyed on by a consumer culture and all this other, you know, patriarchal BS. Um, and, and, and of course, we also get, you know, the mom's feelings about Barbie and wishing that that could have been a thing where she was able to bond with her daughter. We get the thing with Barbie herself, who is wrestling with the idea of what am I then? And, you know, uh, which is sort of the central, a central question that kids have when they're playing with toys is defining themselves, reaching out, trying on roles. And, and so, you know, when, when you talk about this as a millennial film, I do think it's a very millennial film. I think it's made by and for millennials, but I, I think this film has a, a even a far bigger appeal than that. Um, it has that as a base and then includes all these other things. And that is pretty Amazing. I mean, this movie has made over a billion dollars at the box office, and it did it quicker than almost any other movie. Uh, um, it doesn't have very many uh, uh, people in its on its little shelf in that regard, and it, uh, it it's really when you think about it, it's just amazing. You know what what this movie accomplished. You know, we talked about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and how I, I said it's made for Gen Z, not by Gen Z. It's made for millennials by Gen Z. It's lacking a little bit in that in that authenticity. There's just Gen Z. And by the way, Baby Boomers and Gen X. A lot of people are involved with that. And we talked about another movie this um, 
this year, Dave, and that was Renfield. And I also said that Renfield felt like a millennial movie, <coughs> not for its thematic quality, but for its plot and humor choices. Yeah. And I think that you see a lot of those plot and humor choices in Barbie as well. And I think Barbie successfully does it in a way that Renfield didn't like definitely you could have made, let's not dwell on Renfield, but you could have made Renfield 10 years ago and it would have been fine. Uh, Barbie, not so much. Barbie is much more in tune with like our modern sensibilities, but there are like kind of the downside of that millennialness is it's so pegged to me. And I do think it has broader appeal, but to me, the, the core themes are so pegged to like a certain experience women millennials <clears throat> that I think there are a couple choices in it that do make it feel a little dated, not as bad as Renfield, but that do make it feel a little dated. And let's see if we agree with those. Dave. Yeah, and, like, and, and possibly intentionally emotion. dated because, you know, I think Greta Gerwig and, and dated might not be the correct term if that, if it's truly intentional, I think Greta Gerwig's trying to take us back as a viewer, specifically millennial women. I think he's trying to take us back to our childhoods to like re she she's trying to take us back to got Renfield on the brain. She's trying to take us back to our childhoods and relight that spark of what Barbie meant to us. I didn't have that spark. I didn't play with Barbies, but in general, like that's what they're trying to do, trying to relight that spark of imagination. Um, but in the, <clears throat> to make that connection, there are choices made that might feel a little dated that it, it, it helps with that connection for those people. But for instance, I think the most obvious one, Dave, is Ryan Gosling as the lead, as oh. the as as the male lead. Um, like R Ryan Gosling was a male lead twenty years ago <laughs> in, in rom coms, right? No, uh, ten years ago. Mm, Are you barely. objecting to the rom com part or the years ago? Oh my gosh, Ryan Gosling is 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 current. I would call him an, an old guy. I do think, <coughs> I do think Will Ferrell, Michael Cera. We'll get um, to them. Yeah. I think you're, I think they absolutely but, fit in that category. But Dave, he was in the notebook in 2004. That's 19 years ago. Yeah, but he's continued to be relevant. And I, I don't think there's an irrelevance with him. Um, in this movie, I just think that there, he's a very good actor, uh, and he's still young enough to appeal to the millennial audience. <coughs> so he's I young would, enough to appeal to the millennial audience. There's no question about that. That's not in question. Well, they, and to other audiences too. I mean, do other kids? Do you think then that? Do you think then that this current generation just sees him as like their dad or something? Not necessarily, but he's 42 years old, and I think his romantic career his romantic lead days with it's not a romantic role but it is barbie's boyfriend or romantic partner or something those are 10 or 15 years behind him if you look at his more recent like more recent stuff he's kind of not playing that anymore i mean he's not he'll he's definitely i mean there's the blade runner um there's there, there's a few other things he's done like drive uh, um, and again, these are spread out over time. I wonder though, if he is differentiated in that way from say Margot Robbie, who, uh, is, has also been around a little while and is definitely older than you would necessarily think of Barbie 
being. Uh, and, 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 and so um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure so, that. So I think what you're getting, what you're I getting at is. I don't think it was passed for that reason. In other words, is I guess I would say. The cast is almost exclusively millennials. You're is, is what you're getting at. Besides Will Ferrell, almost everyone is in their okay early 30s to early 40s. And I think choosing Ryan Gosling, who is kind of you know 2004 Notebook. If you were a girl that was born in the late 80s or mid 80s, you might have gone to see The Notebook or Crazy Stupid Love in the 2000s, and you remember Ryan Gosling being the hot guy. But he's 42 now. And he, by the way, he's still hot. Look, don't get me wrong. I mean, La La Land was only a few years ago. But he's not really playing, a, you know, I thought of that today, but he's not really playing a quote unquote young guy there. If you really think about it, he's a guy who's kind of aging out of being young. Um, See, but, that's interesting because Ken is sort of this nebulous. I mean, we always joke because, of course, like Pinocchio, neither Ken nor Barbie have genitals. So, you know, um, this idea of Ken having his own like sort of weird idea of how do I identify myself outside of Barbie? That is a middle age crisis thing. So the Ken here is definitely a middle age crisis character. But you need it. You nailed it. Like almost every person in this film, and I do think it's totally intentional, is a millennial because this is a millennial story. There are, of course, there are exceptions. There are a few exceptions. Will Ferrell is probably Gen X. The girl is the the daughter is probably Gen Z, but if you look at the way they're portrayed, the, they're stereotypes of those generations. Um, they are how millennials see those generations. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the daughter, you know, it's not a it's not an age or an opinion that's really treated with respect. It's an age and opinion that is treated with. You need to learn how the world really is. She needs to be taken to Barbie World and explained. You might think that, you know, she uses fascism. Like she's like, she calls Barbie fascist. Yeah. Which is like a parody of like how older people, millennials in this case, see the young kids. And like both her and Will Ferrell as like the corporate guy, watered down corporate guy, are kind of just like the, the stereotypical views of how millennials see those two generations. Um, and if you want to, you could really stretch it. It's probably going too far, but... If you stretch it to um, into what is the name of the woman who who created Barbie? Um, I can't remember her. Well, she's played by Rhea Perlman. <laughs> yeah, Miss Perlman's character. If you want to stretch it that far, true. I think that's going a little too strong. Like as like the gen, the uh, baby boomers as like the wise old people who instruct you. But I think that's taking a little too far. But no, you can tell that we're going for we're appealing to this demographic. Or at least it's naturally emerging from this demographic and we want to speak to these people. We're going to speak to these people. And it's very much coming from that place, both in the terms of the themes and the content, but also how the portrayal of people who are not in that age group. And it's a pretty broad age group. But yeah, to me, the the shiny button is Ryan Gosling cast as the hot young guy. Uh, He's 42. He's he's not the hot young guy anymore. He was in 2005 and 2010. And yeah, but yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, and that's those little, little streams that make the great river of the perfect movie for maybe a millennial woman made by a millennial woman. Well, and when you say, again, you, you hit on it there, the idea of the millennial woman. I mean, I think that Ryan Gosling, if you asked me if I knew how old Ryan Gosling was, I would have said probably in his, in his, in his, uh, 
in his mid thirties at the latest. Right. So, um, women are probably more aware of him as an older character. I mean, and you kind of wonder who else they would have cast too, because like what you, you know, if you're going to go with a actor that could play that sort of like, you know, empty headed male character, you could go with maybe a Zac Efron could have done this role really, really well and been representative. Um, a young Matthew McConaughey, who's now way too old to, to do the role. Uh, he would have been an interesting choice for Farrell's role, by the way. Um, I think that, uh, uh, or Tom Cruise when he was younger, but Tom Cruise is what? 60. So it is, it is sort of this interesting thing that, um, I, who would play him young actors of today? I don't know that anybody would. And that probably, I don't know if there's anyone that meets all the criteria. I think Ryan Gosling is kind of perfect. Yeah. Like Matthew McConaughey, I kind of oh, I'd love see it. But <laughs> I don't but uh Ryan Gosling is I think the, the best choice. Danny DeVito but, is always my fallback for you know. He could have been in it. <laughs> so Dave, did did this all of this millennialness make it feel dated to you, or was it just the perfect fit for the glove for the message they are trying to t- go for? Well, you know, that's the interesting thing is when you look at this movie again, it's an extremely visual movie and it comes at you with a a lot of uh, action. There's a lot going on in it and it moves along pretty quickly. Um, But it's an idea movie in a lot of ways. There's a lot going on in it that you have to pay attention to and think about uh, to, you know, follow it through to the end, to, to, to the end. Of, of what it's getting at. And I think that, um, I think that to me, the millennial aspect of it is, is absolutely inescapable. Um, and in a way it's, you know, it's, it's the best sort of blend of art in the service of ideas. You know, it escapes being propaganda, which is what it's been accused of being. Um, by being absolutely emotionally intelligent and um, it does not pander to its audience. In fact, it's not afraid to poke a little fun at its audience, like you said. I mean, again, this is a movie that's made a billion dollars. A lot of Gen Z kids have gone to see this. Like you said, they they get a little fun poked at them. Um, but they do, again, not as much as men. There are, you know, no. they, I, the men are poked fun of it a lot. And that's, I think people are struggling with that. Some men are struggling with that, but I'm like, okay, yeah. you can take it. You can yeah. take it. You can take some jokes at your expense. They need once to in a take while. It. Yeah. Well, we're talking about they, but it's us. It's like, it's us. So yeah, when, no when you see like, I love the Godfather. Don't get me wrong. That's some great use of cinematography. And we got, I saw great so much of myself in this movie. And let me tell you what, I am nobody's Ken doll. As far as I know, um, but I really saw a lot of myself. We can take a joke. I mean, it's a doll come to life comedy. If you're taking that stuff too seriously, you need to seriously examine your ego and uh, your uh, fragility. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we got time for one more subject, Dave. One more thing okay. I think we can discuss. Let's not discuss if it's anti-men. That That's enough of that. Been done. Um, let's discuss IP. 
intellectual property. Do you think um, this is a movie? And let's first talk about, could you feel Mattel's hand guiding our, our, our story here a little bit, Dave? I could, I think. And I'll tell you where if you're curious. You know, here's, here's what's interesting. I tend to go into movies unaware of a lot of things. Now, I know critics who won't even watch trailers. I love trailers because I can generally tell if a movie is worth seeing by watching the trailer, generally. Um, it's gotten harder these days. Now they're actually making really great trailers to pretty forgettable movies. Uh, and I've been doing that for a little while. But I think that when it comes to like sensing the presence of of Mattel or something like that behind the movie or Marvel um, or whatever, I, I I just sort of like take things as they come at me. And I, and I, 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 rightly or wrongly, and I, I'm not putting this forward as a virtue, I don't really engage with with cinema typically as as as, as far as I'm aware in that way. Um, that said, I think it's really applicable here. And if you're asking me if I think Mattel's hand is in it, I'm going to say, oh, absolutely. But what I think I asked you that, yeah. But what surprises me, what surprises me is how much they let Noah Baumbach and Greta Gearwig get away with. They let them go pretty far, but not very far. They let them go about 25% of the way, right? I think um, there had to be certain limitations because the gloves were on when you're talking about Barbie as like a symbol of sexism or limiting women. The gloves were on during that conversation. The conversation was had, but the person who was articulating it, most cases a younger girl, again, portrayed as inexperienced and un, un, needing to be informed by older, more experienced women, was seen, was totally disproportionately ridiculous or um, positive benefits were brought up that weighed it. So, yeah, you can kind of feel Mattel's hand a little bit more than I think you could have went up to 50 percent. And I think the thing that you really uh, see is there's no bad guy in this movie. The bad guy is our struggle to grow up, just like in all coming of age stories, right? The real bad guy. Sometimes there's a bully, but the real struggle is we have to accept life as being an adult. And Mattel was a natural villain in this film, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they're one of the things one of the plots that are in the film that kind of just go nowhere. Mm. They don't go nowhere as much as the Lobos and Renfield, but you know, Will Will Ferrell's motivations and why Mattel wants to get Barbie back to Barbie land are very nebulous. And I think the reason it is, is because I think they needed to have Mattel in the movie. And I think Mattel could not be the villain, but we all know that Mattel is a corporation. So they also can't be the good guy, right? That would be, if you made them the good guy, every, good guy, everyone would be in there. Oh, Mattel saved the day. Well, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing about here's the thing about portraying corporate corporations in film is, like you said, they're almost de facto always the bad guy. But corporations are made up of people, and like you said, their motives can be very kind of nebulous. They just they just want to make money, you know. 
And I think that that's very much Mattel in this movie for the most part. Uh, is you get a lot of jokes about about them just going with whatever they think the consumer flow is going to be. And that's the thing that I feel like is addressed in this movie a little bit with the Mattel characters, is that that is the thing that never is never going to change. That's just base one. You have a corporation. This is what corporations are. This is what corporations do. And none of those characters in the corporation are humanized much or given a real, real arcs or, or go through any real sense of change. Um, I think it's, they're very limited because they're making the movie. They're not going to let them, you know, have Nazi Barbie. All right. If I I think (laughs) the the reason the Mattel plot line is so watered down is, is because Mattel is making the movie. Um, I don't know if they should have been there at all, but they serve some purpose. But yeah, I I could feel their hand possibly. And there might've been some limitations on what could be or could not be displayed by Mattel. All right, here's the real, let's do one more question, Dave. Oh my gosh. God forbid, but are we going to get a bunch of freaking movies with toys now? Are we going to get the Slinky movie? Are we going to get the Stretch Armstrong movie? (laughs) Because this did make a billion dollars. Should I prepare myself for Stretch Armstrong as a symbol of Gen X coming of age? There has been a Stretch Armstrong movie repeatedly pitched in Hollywood uh, that wound up in development hell. In which Hollywood, Dave? Um, (laughs) Legitimate Hollywood? (laughs) No, in in Hollywood, Hollywood. uh, Over the years. Uh, And I think that here's what what we're going to get. I think... A, I will not be at all surprised to see some sort of continuation of this story for Barbie. We may even get some kind of sequel. I don't know. Is if you know, I I don't need that. And I, but as far as like a silly putty movie or a Parcheesi movie or a Monopoly movie, or you can make a movie. Oh, there's gonna there's gonna be a monopoly movie. Like, hey, Clue is a good movie. Lots of people love Clue. Clue is a cult favorite movie. Um, there have you know, uh, there have been some video game movies that have been been good. Uh, The proof is all. How about this, Dave? This is this true? Wait, here's a question: Are they going to get Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, or Martin Scorsese, or whoever? whoever the hell, to write the screenplay. Because that is what made this movie great. Here's what I heard, Dave. And just prepare to have your your mind blown. I have heard that there is a Hot Wheels movie coming directed by the Dans, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Hey, baby. I'm all over it. Because those guys know how to write a screenplay. And... You could do a lot with that. I don't know if you remember Speed Racer from a number of years ago. That is a joy to watch. It's How about this one? I got one more. I got one more. I think it's in pre-production. And the dance. Don't get me to try to. I'm not saying anything against the dance. No way. No, I'm just saying. What the? I'm what just, is that movie going to be? How about um, American Girl directed by Robert Zemeckis? In production or in pre-production. Um, Stop us now. Stop the oh, world yeah, now. No, no. You don't have to get me going. Look, I am I am a defender of Polar Express. All right, I even like Scrooge. 
I like Beowulf. I like a lot of the things that Zemeckis <coughs> has done post Back to the Future. All right. I think he's a good filmmaker. I think that's a that is a potentially horrible idea. And it's a horrible idea precisely because you think Barbie needs to be taken down a notch? American Girl is a very problematic thing uh, for all sorts of reasons. And how they're going to do justice to the subjects that surround that, I mean, you could do a Build-A-Bear movie would probably be better than American Girl uh, because American Girl, they're not going to let it be. They're not going to do what Mattel did and let it be what it needs to be. Um, and I don't think that Robert Zemeckis is going to write a screenplay anywhere near as good as Barbie. I'll tell you that right now. Now, one yeah, thing I are... will say about Hot Wheels, mm-hmm. I'm with you. What do you make a Hot Wheels movie about? What is it just going to be a bunch of loosely scripted excuses for them to race on the track? I mean, what is what is the point of Hot Wheels? They don't have an, an arc of any kind. They aren't even actual characters. They're just cars. Well, I believe there is a movie about cars. (laughs) Which was a good movie. Pixar's Cars, good movie. Well, yeah, I think those are kind of just crazy rumors. Because you would never pick the dance to direct that. I mean, if that happens, I'll eat my hat. I don't know where that rumor originated. Yeah, that sounds to me really... I could see the Wachowskis doing cars before I could see the Dan's going from everything everywhere all at once to to Hot, Hot Wheels. Though you know, you do remember what was it? Um, Chloe Zhao went from Nomad Land to what a Marvel movie. I know. You know, sometimes we, <laughs> people have bills to pay. You know, people have well, bills to pay, Dave. Yeah, they do. Um, and movies, other movies, they want to make, and the only way to get them made is to. You know, what do you think is funding Margot Robbie's uh, production company? Well, I'll tell you what's funding that now is uh, is Barbie's. And again, they're talking yes, she's going to make $50 million off of this. That's just on million? the production end. Probably. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's funded by Birds of Prey and other movies. I think we saw Birds of Prey together, but I don't know if we did an episode on it. We might have. I, I can't remember if we did or not. It's... Uh... It's certainly not a bad movie. You know, I think I'm ready to close up shop here. Are you Dave? Yeah. I mean, I think we're done with the, I think we're done with the toy movie. Uh, the, the, you know, there's a great old, there's a great old Christian book called turmoil and the toy box. And uh, people write about it. You'll hear it referenced from time to time. And it's basically about how the Smurfs and the Care Bears and masters of the universe and She-Ra and all of these toys were just new age plots to snare your children into the occult. And of course, this is the pre-Harry Potter era. Um, and so these were all, you know, toys, plus they had their own Saturday morning cartoons. And um, I think there is a live action He-Man movie or something in production now. But the fact that... The fact that people are still finding ways to inject anxiety into toys <laughs> mm. says so much about our poor culture, our poor tortured culture. 
<laughs> we can't just let a Care Bear be a Care Bear. You know, no, we had to we had to invent some weird thing about it. But, you know, in the hands of a great storyteller like Greta Gerwig, you wind up with a worthwhile movie that explores something like that. I just think, again, the question's going to be, are we going to continue to have these things made by people who have something to say? Well, we don't know what our next episode will be. Um, who knows? Hmm. Send us your suggestions. Yes. You can find us at mindframesfilm.com. You can send us an email there. You can send us an email at Michael or at Dave at mindframesfilms.com. We will read that. Probably the best way to get a hold of us, though, is to go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash mindframesmovies. And you will see all of our episodes linked up there. And you can argue with us. You can comment. You can write nasty things, and we will respond. Of course, as always, we are proud to be uh, members of the Now Playing Network, where you can find all your favorite podcasts, except um, what's not up there. Uh, Weird History is not up there, but Director's Club's up there. Listen to two hours. Jim's up there. There's hundreds of hours of the previously mentioned Jim talking about all your favorite directors and some that you don't even care about. But maybe you could you could get more knowledge. 